All right. So this morning, I think we start, might start with a little game. Is that all right? Good. Get the brain thinking. It's a game of who am I? Now, Mark, it goes out saying, and, and Lisa, we're not going to show the slides until we've figured out who it is. I just wanted to make that clear. So I'll ask a couple of questions. Shout out if you know the answer or what your answer is. I'll go through them all and then we'll have a big reveal of who the person is. All right, you with me? All right, I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii in 1961. All right, so we've got some stuff flowing through. I'm a graduate of Columbia University and Harvard Law School. I ran for United States Senate in 2004. This is the last one, so if, if you've got any more guesses, you better get them in now. And I was president uh, from 2009 to 2017. I forget he was the president for that long. What a, what a guy. All right, here we go. This one, will, this one will get you. I was born in 1935 in Tupelo, Tupelo, Mississippi. It's not... <laughs> I've been inducted into five halls of fame, rock and roll, country, gospel, rockabilly, and R&B. This is the last one. <laughs> I am called the king of rock and roll. It is Elvis. Good job. Good job. All right. This one will really get you. I was born in 1935 in Walton-on-Thames, England. <laughs> 1935, which is quite old, I just realised this morning. That was a long time ago. <laughs> My first film role was at the age of 15 in The Singing Princess. Good movie, check it out, it's a good one. I was officially named a dame at the turn of the century in 1999. Well, this one really has got a few people. I was the governess of the Von Trapp family in the movie The Sound of Music. It is Julie Andrews. Dame Judy Andrews. She was born in 1935. Right? 1935. Okay, well, if those three didn't get you, this one's certainly going to get you. I was born in the town of Bethlehem. I was known as the Anointed One. Any guesses so far? Anyone want to throw anything out there? I had eight wives. Ooh, curveball. Weren't expecting that. I wrote about half of the book of Psalms. It is King David. Now this picture, I mean, is that what David looked like? What? How does anyone know that? Anyway, great, great picture. I always wonder what he's thinking. Well, it's, it's good. 
King David, the second king of Israel. And, and if you didn't pick it up, that's who we're looking at this morning. So we're in this series at the moment that Nath kicked us off last week in, and who does God use? And so over the next couple of weeks, and this week we're going to be exploring some different characters from the Bible that God used in different ways. Now, Nath mentioned it last week, and I'm probably stealing the thunder of, of Barry and Sarah in the weeks to come, but God can use anyone. That's the purpose of this series, that we're looking at people that God used in different ways that came from different backgrounds, that did different things, but the key is that God uses everyone and anyone. So to give a really high-level overview of David, because if you are not familiar with the story of King David, it's quite long and, and it's quite well written in the Bible. In fact, if you are looking for a way to kill half an hour, or if you're a quick reader, 10 minutes, read First and Second Samuel, because it reads like a novel. It's, it's a very interesting story. It's very detailed at times, and, and it, it's engaging. You go, oh, what happened next? Did he get away? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just spoiled it. <laughs> so David was uh, a shepherd boy born to Jesse uh, of Bethlehem. He had many brothers. So he was a shepherd. He was a musician in the court of King Saul, the first king of Israel. He was a great warrior and eventual general of the Israelite armies. And eventually he was king. It's often referred to as Israel's greatest king, second to Jesus. So the story is quite vast and and detailed, but that's a very high-level snapshot of David and some of the key things of of his life. A really interesting fact about David that I was uh, discussing with, uh, what's your name, Jack, this morning, <laughs> is that David is the only character in the Bible described as being a man after God's own heart, which I found quite interesting. It's mentioned in 2 Samuel, but it's also mentioned in, in Acts. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him and said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, many scholars are are a bit conflicted about what this meant, right? A man after God's own heart. Because as we see through the story, and if you aren't familiar with it, I'll reveal it a bit later. But David was as human as you or I. He made mistakes just like we did. And so there's a great debate over what this meant. But what we do know about David is he was a man of incredible faith. He sought after God throughout his life and he engaged with God in all of his decisions. David's story really begins for us in 1 Samuel when Samuel is is called by God to go and anoint David as the next king of Israel. He's, he's withdrawn his spirit from Saul and he goes, and Samuel goes to anoint David the shepherd boy as the next king, many years before he would become king of Israel. And I think the verses are going to be on the screen, but 1 Samuel 16 says, When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord is anointed, him, anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. I remember hearing those verses when I was in Cork Cadets once, as like a teenager. I just thought, what a, how good, right? How good, like a reaffirming thing for a young person or even an older person to hear that God doesn't look at the outside, he looks at our heart, right? doesn't matter what happens on the outside, that's not what God's concerned about. And so it brings me to my first point this morning, which is a, a heart for God prepares us to be used by God. As we journey through life in relationship with God, engaging with Him in our daily life prepares us to, to be where God wants us to be. Sometimes that can be unexpected. David was a, a shepherd, not of royal blood, not of a noble line, but he, he came to be anointed king over Israel because he was a man after God's own heart. His heart prepared him to be used by God for something incredible. It wasn't his job or, or the way that he presented himself in the world. It wasn't how many volunteer organizations he was a part of or how many ministry groups he, you know, engaged in. It was the condition of his heart that allowed him to be used by God. Now, that's not to say that if you wake up in the morning and say, I have a heart for God, you can carry on however you like, right, and, and act however you want. But the reality is when we have a heart that's for God and when we're leaning into that relationship, our life changes. We've talked about this many times before, but when we're engaged with God, the way we conduct ourselves is different. It comes naturally through that relationship. So it's a reminder to us this morning that God doesn't look at the outside, but he looks at the condition of our heart to prepare us to go where God has called us to go. I mentioned that David was a man of incredible faith and, and he relied on the Spirit to lead him through his life. And so it's one thing to go where God has called us to go, but sometimes it can be another thing completely to do what God has called us to do. Sometimes it may mean a physical move of location to go somewhere, but once we get there, there's a task that God set out for us that we sometimes feel we're not prepared for. The, the middle section of David's story, once he's done being a shepherd, although do you ever truly be done being a shepherd, right? You're always, you know, relying on those skills, your staff and sheep. But as he moves into this, this next phase of his life where he becomes a great warrior, we see that he wins. He is a fierce warrior and he's a fierce general for the Israelites. In fact, 2 Samuel 8 is literally titled David's Victories and it's a chapter on all the battles that David won. The whole middle section of David's story is about battle after battle that he turned to God in faith and God led him to a victory. Triumph after triumph came through David's faith in the Lord and he's walking by the Spirit. Now, if you've been in church for a long time or a short time or never been to church before, you would have heard the story of David and Goliath. Same David, right? Just in case you were wondering. But to capture it really quickly, the Israelites are, are fighting the Philistines and, and they come face to face and Goliath is a nine foot tall giant. And he comes out every day and, and walks up to the Israelites and, and mocks them and calls them out and says, come and fight me. 
If you're so strong and you've got this great God, come and fight me and then we'll just settle it man to man. If you win, we'll leave. If I win, we'll kill you all. And he comes out every day and he mocks God in front of the Israelites and no one does anything. And then we see David goes to visit his brothers in the front line. You may be familiar with the story at this point. I think he takes some cheese and bread or something. It's not important. Anyway, he goes to the front lines to visit his brothers and he sees this giant mocking his God, the God of Israel. And he says, I'll deal with this. And he goes out and we see it and he runs and throws the rock and it hits him in the head and then he cuts his head off with a sword. A bit that often doesn't get talked about enough, but it's very cool for a kid to just pick up a sword. But it was his faith in God that led him to that victory. Because, like, let's really think about this for a second. He was a boy, maybe about 13 years old. Let's say he was tall for his age, maybe comes up to my shoulder. Goliath was a nine-foot giant, as tall as that door. It goes into great detail about how he was built. He was huge. And this boy says, I have enough faith in my God to lead me through this. 1 Samuel 17, 14 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Without the Spirit in our lives, we can't live out the Christian journey and the Christian walk that God has called us to. We see time and time again in the story of David how he relied on the Lord, but we see later on in the story, it's when he neglects the spirit that the calling that has been put on his life becomes overwhelming. And it's the same for you or me this morning. When, we, when we've committed to a relationship with God, we need the spirit in our lives to lead us through that journey. When we're in tune with the spirit and actively seeking that relationship, when we're, when we're in the word, when we're praying feverently to to be able to engage with God every day, the Spirit guides us through the journey that we're on. We talked about it again and, and we talk about a lot of things all the time because I think we need to be reminded about them. But when we're in tune with the Spirit, we have the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But who knows that it's easier to to face the day when you wake up with patience and joy. When you sit on the edge of the bed and all of a sudden you're already in a state where you're ready to take on all the things of the world that come at you today. You've got the patience of the Lord in you. You've got joy to be able to get up and, and get to it. Life is much easier when we have those fruits of the Spirit in us. We see David at his best when he's cultivating that relationship and and we are at our best and we can do the things that God has called us to when we're cultivating that relationship. Walking by faith in the Spirit keeps us from our earthly nature. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Clearly, 
David did not read Galatians 5. Because when we turn from the spirit in sin, it has terrible consequences. And we're about to see that in David's story. David's desire, his earthly nature ultimately led to his downfall. 2 Samuel 11, and again, I actually maybe I didn't give this one to her. Yeah, I did. Never mind. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. David said and inquired about the woman. One said, it is, not, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Bum, bum, bum. The story continues, and we're not going to go through the verses because the next bit's quite long. David covers up his sin with more sin. And in fact, the further we go down the line, the worse it gets. He, he calls for Uriah the Hittite, who's out fighting David's fights. He calls him from the front lines in and he says, come in, in a plan that would mean if Uriah slept with his wife, then maybe everyone would think it was his child. But he's such a noble man that he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. While everyone else is out fighting, I'll come back, I'll have dinner with you, and then I'm going to go back to the front lines. So David's plan doesn't work, so his next step is to have Uriah killed. And not just Uriah, but the general writes back to him at that time and says, look, if you want me to do this, there's others that are going to die as well. It's not just going to be him. There's going to be other people that will die who are not a part of this. And, and David says, okay. So great is his desire to cover his sin, he just falls deeper and deeper into this hole. But how often in, in our lives does sin beget sin? When we do something wrong, and, and it doesn't need to be to the same level as ordering someone to be killed, but... Who knows? How often when we make a mistake do we try and cover it up ourselves? Like it, sometimes it can be a really big thing to say, hey, I've made a mistake here. Like I know when I first started in my job, <clears throat> it took me a little minute to be like, yeah, I've made a mistake. I admit it. Let's look at this together. Instead, I would try and cover it up myself. Sometimes it would work, but often it would just make the problem worse. And that, that's a story for a lot of us, I would feel. That when we try and cover up our own mistakes and our own strength, things get worse. What happens next in the story of David is he's called out on his actions. He's rebuked by the prophet Nathan, something that we talk about again in church. We should rebuke one another. We should call each other out when we see sin begetting sin, when we see ourselves heading down a spiral that's not going to end well for us. Now we're going to look at these verses because I actually think it's one of the greatest rebukes in the Bible. It really is engaging. And it actually, well for me anyway, it brings up some great emotions. Let's have a look. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
He came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cups and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveller to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock and herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who came to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and shall restore the lamb fourfold, he, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan says, You are the man. Thus say the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too little, I would have added you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and do, and do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the swords of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. How often when we try and hide our own sin, do we justify it to ourselves? David was so angry at this story because he, he, never, he didn't know the man. He didn't know either of the men in the certain city because they don't exist. But he justified his actions to himself, that he was so blind to it that he didn't even realize it was him. When we try to cover our own sin and our own issues, we justify our actions to ourselves. Some people may not want to hear this next bit, and it certainly doesn't sell Christianity well if you don't look into it well enough. But what comes next is punishment for David's actions, punishment for his sin. Nathan Finocchio put it really well in this sermon we watched once or he was here, and he said, uh, people shy away from the, the punishment that God delivers, right? We want to believe in a, in a God who's just good and doesn't, you know, doesn't punish us for anything. But, but he, he framed it in a way that said, can a father smack his child and still love his child? Now, I know that's quite a controversial topic, but I'm inclined to agree with it. There's consequences for our actions, and there's no way to avoid that. But what there also is, is forgiveness from our sins. There's forgiveness from the action. There's consequences that aren't going to go anywhere, but God forgives us when we make a mistake. 2 Samuel 12, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. He's put it away. He's, he's done. He's forgiven you your sin. You shall not die. But there will be consequences for what's happened. 
When we try to hide our shame, we try to bury it with more and more sin. In preparing this week, I read this uh, sentence and I thought it was quite fitting. That consequences can only last a lifetime, but forgiveness lasts forever. We, we believe that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Eternity is a long time. doesn't matter if you were born in 1935. Eternity is a long time. A lifetime is finite. Consequences can only last a lifetime, but forgiveness lasts forever. When we make a mistake, the Lord wants us to run to him for forgiveness, not to bury it in our own strength. And when we have a heart for the Lord and when we're in tune with the Spirit, running to God doesn't seem that scary. David's story goes on a lot more, but this morning that's where we're going to finish. That's why I'm encouraging you to go and read the whole story for yourself. But there's a hundred lessons we can pull out of the story of David, right? This morning we've looked at some quite surface level things, but things that are super relevant to day-to-day life for us, I think. David's story teaches us that there are many things in life that we don't expect sometimes or that we're not ready for. But this morning, I want you to take away just these couple of things. And I don't have a, an action or a, a takeaway for us to do tonight. We're going to finish up in a second. Tonight, this morning. But the three things are this, that David's faith made him powerful. His humanness made him weak. And his repentance made him whole. His humbleness and his love for the Lord made him whole. The consequence is still there and he had to live with that. And and if you go and explore the story of David anymore, you'll see some of those consequences. But the forgiveness comes from the Lord in that moment. He was forgiven his sins. So as we finish this morning and as we go from this place... I encourage you to be people after God's own heart, whatever that looks like in your circumstance. We all live very different lives and we all have different jobs and different friends and different families. And so being a a person after God's own heart maybe looks a little bit different person to person. But have a heart to go where God has called you to go, even if it's unexpected, even if it's not where you had envisaged yourself being. I encourage you this morning to have faith like David. Faith that whatever God has brought you to, he'll bring you through. That's that's good. It's good. But it is good though, like right? Even if you forget everything I said this morning, if you go from here and remember that whatever God's brought you to in life, in his strength, he'll take you through it. If you try and do it on your own, It's going to suck. But when we have faith that God is with us in every circumstance and when we lean into him, it's when good things come. But again, be prepared that it may not be the outcome that you had expected. And it may not be the outcome that maybe you even wanted. 
But when we have faith in the Lord, we know that we're putting our, our life into his hands and to his plan. And lastly this morning, I, I encourage you to have the courage to go to God. Have the courage to go to God when you've made a mistake or have the courage to rebuke someone in this congregation. How many times do we talk about it? But who can honestly say they've ever sat someone down and been like, hey, you really need to stop this before it gets to a point where everyone goes, we need to sit this person down and tell them they really need to stop it. If you see these actions in one another, call it out, rebuke one another. It doesn't need to be aggressive. It can be something as simple as having a coffee and saying, hey, let's talk about this. But most importantly, have the faith and the courage to go to God instead of trying to bury our own sins. Bury the sin, absolutely, but bury it with truth and forgiveness from God, not in our own strength trying to bury it with more actions. Because it's not about what we do on the outside, it's about our heart that God sees. Let's pray, and then we're going to finish up. But Jesus, I just thank you uh, that we can come this morning and... And learn about you. I thank you that we can come and, and sing and, and worship you together. We thank you for the, the story of David and the story of many characters in the Bible that, that show us how to live uh, today. That show us how to live in relationship with you and what that looks like. We pray that you would, you would cultivate something in us that, that makes us people after your heart. Again, whatever that looks like in our circumstance, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit daily so that we can go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do. We pray that we have the courage to turn to you in our times of need. We pray that we have the courage to, to keep each other accountable and to help each other live the life you want us to live. We thank you that you forgive us our sins. We thank you that you are there for us when we make a mistake. And we just pray this morning that we would remember that in, in times of need. We thank you and we love you and we just pray that we would uh, remember these things as we go from here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a great week.